everyone, welcome to another exciting episode of Destiny Geekhood. Amanda kicking us off today. Uh, Taylor here as well. So guys, I am so excited for this. Now, here's the crazy thing. For most, it's just February, but apparently according to DC Comics, it's also Harley Quinn month. <laughs> Which, let us go ahead and say that we really, really think that's kind of tacky. Tacky and a little bit, if I'm allowed, kooky. I mean, while I get that Harley Quinn is the poster girl for doing anything for love, she's not exactly a healthy female stereotype to, you know, show to the young ladies who want to show dedication to their man. I mean, let's quote the Joker in Assault on Arkham when he said, Women, what, you can't live without them, you can't push them out of a moving vehicle. And as much as I love Mr. J myself, I'm not quite willing to take a bullet for him. So we don't really condone that it's Harley Quinn month, but we figured what a better time than now to talk about something that we all love talking about, and that's villainy. And it's something that TJ and I especially love. As not just writers, fan, fans, and everything, villainy's kind of the thing that everyone loves but hates acknowledging about themselves for it. Exactly. So what we're about to do is we're going to start, we're going to do the first of three parts to the series where we're going to divide between uh, villainy, the anti-hero and vigilante, and then that one character that just doesn't really care. Yeah, the character that honestly is there because they feel like it. We have a whole show dedicated to that one, and that's going to be really, really fun. Alright, so as stated, today we're going to start with mostly villains and supervillains. Now, the Oxford English Dictionary, which we were kind of upset to get this definition, but it defines a villain as the person or thing responsible for specified trouble, harm, or damage. Can we honestly say they didn't even try? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a weak definition considering some of the anti that most villains pull in the average comic book. I mean... Spe specified trouble, harm, or damage? I mean, that's knocking over a tree or mislabeling post. That's just about everything. Yeah, so um, we took a moment, we discussed it earlier, um, of what, to each of us, what villainy is. Now, to me, mine is the character that brings about destruction, harm, or even death to achieve a goal, whether selfish or otherwise. The character sometimes, though, may feel as though they are doing what is better for a whole group or an individual. And I have a slightly different definition. To me, a villain is very, very cut and dry. This is someone or something that wants a bullet in your damn skull. This is the person that wants to kill you. They want you to be, or your race, class, grouping, they want you out. If this is any kind of mega super villain, they definitely want you obliterated. Because, and we'll discuss further, there's a huge difference between villain and protagonist. So that's one of the reasons why my definition's a little bit more cutthroat. <laughs> Definitely. Now, before we continue any further, let us just go ahead and say a while. While we can sit here and we can go into different fandoms, such as we can, you know, do sci-fi, Doctor Who, anime, uh, video games. What we're going to do is we're going to specifically stick to comics, mainly because, A, there are so many different examples that we can use plus i mean in honor of holly quinn month we might as well stick to what she's best known for exactly and with that being said we definitely want to go ahead and clarify a couple things so remember that thing i mentioned about there being a difference between a villain and a protagonist 
here's the basic thing. A villain is the one that actually wants you gone. They want you dead, cut and dry. The protagonist is a character who's often going to be your rival, foil, or antagonistic force. That doesn't always mean they want to bring about your demise. So definitely be careful when it comes to, even in comics, wow, especially comics, be careful who you're labeling as villains. You'll get some characters that end up being more of an antagonistic force or a rival than someone who's really a bad guy. And vice versa. Someone who looks like they're just antagonistic sometimes could be a villain in disguise. Exactly. Now, since we've clarified that, let's go ahead and we're going to clarify something that we think is very essential to this episode. And that is the difference between a villain and a supervillain. Yeah. yeah, that's a huge difference. Basically... The villain is the one that's knocking over banks, maybe some weapon trafficking. Basically, I think TJ and I agreed that a villain pretty much caps off around extortion. So a good example of that would be like the Penguin. This is more like the crime boss kind of thing. Not really interested in world domination, maybe just domination of the financial sector. Exactly. Now, your super villains are going to be the much more cutthroat, bigger bigger picture. Basically, they're okay with eradicating just about anything to get their goal. Now, we also discussed last night, and Amanda and I spent probably two hours, you know, planning for this, is that a supervillain does not have to be someone that is superpowered, um, which we will definitely get into later with probably the most predominant uh, example there. But, just, so just for the basics, you've got your cutthroat villain versus your well most is okay with murder genocide anything like that to get their goal that's where we're drawing the line between the two of them yeah and superpowers is definitely a thing to bring up the interesting thing about most villains is especially in the comics you don't always need superpowers to be extra threatening I mean, I know if, I mean, if memory serves correct, Joker even gave Superman a run for his money a few times. Oh, definitely. But, you know, sometimes crazy is the best weapon. <laughs> so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to take basically the entire world of villainy and we're going to break them into subclasses. So this is going to be about five or six different, like, where would you put these villains and we're going to spend a little bit of time on each one. And what we're going to do is we're going to start off with in the bottom of the totem pole, but basically your two-level job, which is going to be the villains with the basic intentions. Yeah, this is your basic rogues gallery here. So great classic examples would be, well, aside from the rogues gallery, um, the Royal Flesh Gang is a really, really good example of that one. And for those of you unfamiliar, they're a card-based group. Actually, their costumes are pretty spiffy. I gotta say, it's a guilty pleasure of mine. These, this level of villain, they're not above a bank job or maybe a little bit of extortion. Occasionally, a little bit of trafficking. But they're basically the ones that are just doing it to finish off their back end. They're the ones that are doing it to either continue to finance their lifestyles or, in some cases, just put food on the table. There's plenty of instances where people have turned to villainy and to crime just to maintain their lifestyles. Exactly. And like Amanda said, you know, the biggest example you're going to get here is going to be the rogues gallery. So these are going to be your people such as Captain Cold, you know, Mirror Master, Royal Flesh Gang, basically people who 
who they have trouble being part of normal society, but they have to survive. And the cool thing about a lot of these villains is a lot of them have a moral code, such as they don't kill unless necessary. They don't do anything above a bank job or a jewel heist. You know, and a lot of them actually hold their own respect among members. Like, one of my cool, coolest things I remember is, you know, the rogues gallery basically getting together for a drink at a sports bar afterwards to basically say, hey, you know, good job. And it's like, that's not something you would expect from anyone else unless, you know, being dropped in acid was part of the party. Right. I definitely love, I have a really big soft spot for the Royal Flesh Gang because they have very, very similar camaraderie. So, Rogue's Gallery is an interesting one. Again, it's kind of your entry-level thing. Now, what's interesting about Rogue's Gallery is how often they work with top-tier villains, either through manipulation or through ambition. What's especially interesting is when you get a lower-tier group of rogues or a rogue individual who ends up running in a more elite circle, um... That one can be really, really complicated, and I love it. Like, when Royal Flesh Gang works with a penguin every once in a while, oh my gosh, that gets so tense and cool. <laughs> and then you've got people such as uh, the Rogues Gallery and Flash. A lot of times you will find them to be manipulated by someone much more powerful and devious, such as Gorilla Grodd. I mean, what's what's a better plot test than finding out that you've been controlled by a giant psychic gorilla the entire time? I couldn't imagine a worse betrayal. So, segueing from your villain with your basic intent is you're going to have your villains with harmful intentions. So, these are people who are not only like, hey, I need to put food on the table, but these are people who are like, you know, they're, they're going to be the people who are purposely going out to do hostage situations, you know. They have no problem killing somebody, whether it's necessary or not. Right. Great examples of that would be, of course, let's go back to our classic Justice League. Black Manta has a fantastic example of someone who just does not care, legitimately has harmful intentions, has a legitimate vendetta, and is willing to take down anyone just because of it. And the reason why I mention that is because the vendetta isn't always corollary. One of the things I loved about his character was that, yes, he had a vendetta against Atlantis and Atlanteans. That's absolutely true. That didn't stop him from going on land riding a chariot pulled by sharks and knocking over, you know, a First National Bank and stealing a car. Exactly. And, you know, you got some other examples such as, you know, Cheshire's another one, even though she's kind of iffy because she falls into other categories depending on who's writing her. Count Vertigo is a good one, uh, depending on who's writing him. If you're going by the Arrowverse, his whole thing was, I'm going to make money by pushing this drug no matter what. Whereas in... Uh, in the actual comic series, and you see this in Young Justice, you know, his harmful intention is he wants to kill his niece so he can take over his country and, you know, be the be the monarch of it. Most Now, he, he usually has no intention of hurting anyone else, but if once Green Arrow or Black Canary gets in his way, he has no problem eliminating them from the, from the face of the planet. Totally. You definitely get some really, really interesting ca characters with this one, and truthfully, the list can go on forever. Most of your villains are going to fall into this category. They are going to be the ones that truthfully have harmful intent that's pretty open. Pretty much everyone's at risk if they walk in the door. So you would have to be careful if you were to see them. But they usually have flashy costumes, so they're easy to identify. Exactly. And as Amanda said, you know, these are usually people who are going to be motivated by vengeance, uh, power, status, things like that. Yep. 
it's always really, really exciting to see that. There's some interesting psychology that goes along with that as well, but that might be for another show. Definitely. So we're going to graduate, digivolve, evolve. Mega evolve. From your basic villain to your super villain. Wow. I mean, firstly, to get into the class of super villain, you have to have pretty big goals. And this is single dogged determination to destroy a person, place, thing, or group of people. And that gets pretty intense. The thing with the supervillain is, is that they've now graduated. While they're still willing to extort, traffic, knock over a bank every once in a while, the definite, the crimes do tick up in ante. This is more along the lines of, well, if you read the comics, murder and all the other kind of nasty things that we don't like saying that villains do. This is definitely a way more intense kind of character. This puts us more in the league of we're talking like the difference between the Riddler and the Joker. Riddler, yeah, he's done some messed up things, and knocking over banks is totally annoying. Joker, we'll put a gun to your head, laugh, pull the trigger, and you pray to God it's not the one with the little flag. You definitely know the difference between the two off the bat. And supervillains amazingly come in a couple different categories that we'll discuss. We have our super-powered, we have the demigodded ones, and we have the ones that are kind of just misguided, but they have good intentions. So I think we definitely need to kick off with our super-powered supervillains. Exactly. So your super-powered supervillains are going to be your villains with harmful intentions, but much, much higher ante, and for some uh, god-awful reason, they were given superpowers. So this is going to be your Sinestro, your uh, Killer Frost, your Reverse Flash, Professor Zoom, uh... Just basically your villain that's got superpowers and they're completely okay with doing whatever. So basically it's a mega evolution version of a villain with harmful intentions, but they have superpowers as well. And these guys are going to be driven usually by revenge, the need to be the highest and strongest. Again, so you've got like, you know, Sinestro who was rejected by the Green Lantern Corps because he was against their pacifistic ways. And he went on to develop his own core that was actually driven by the power of fear, which is what he absolutely loved. And a lot of these villains, especially because of the fact that, you know, they have superpowers, they kind of, you see them kind of have obsessions with getting their goals done. Yeah, an obsession becomes a big thing. The other part of it, especially with the superpowered supervillains, is kind of a lack of discrimination when it comes to it. The biggest thing is, again, to bring up Black Manta, because he kind of inches into that category just a little bit, is even though there's a vengeance, there is a vendetta, it kind of ends up oozing out to just about anyone who's within his warpath. So, basically, if you're in the way of any of these supervillains, even if the goal might be Batman, Superman, Thor, Iron Man, if you're in the if you're in the radius of destruction, you're still going to go down, unfortunately. Exactly. So we're going to move on to the demigodded uh, supervillain. So the demigodded supervillain is going to be... Now, they may have powers, they may not. Basically, these are the characters that there seems to be no limit to their power, whether it's an actual superpower, it's their insanity, it's their uh, their level of intelligence. It's basically going to be that character that, for some odd reason, there's no stopping them. So this is going to be... Your Joker, your Lex Luthor, you know, your Dark Side, your Doomsday, you know, characters such as that. 
Yeah, other great examples happen to include, like, Galactus. Uh, Morgan Le Fay is probably one of my favorites in this category because when she pops up, there's almost nothing that can stop her. And more than once, it's taken the entire Justice League just to get her to shut the hell up. <laughs> exactly. And then you've even got, like, the first Justice League villain of all time, Starro. So these are basically just going to be those people that, for some odd reason, whether it's invincibility, determination, or for some god-awful reason, like the Joker... They won't go away, and it takes much more power and force to bring these villains down than your average rogues gallery or even, you know, Sinestro. Way more to bring these guys down, and that ends up being really, really interesting. But it does bring about, unfortunately, one of the most painful parts of being a comic book fan is these fights go on forever. I mean, come on. I... How many times has Batman come so close to killing the Joker and he's still there? And Lex Luthor's another one of those great examples of he has no superpowers, but for some odd reason there's no taking him down. Yeah, actually another favorite of mine for that category would be um, Doctor Doom. Especially if it's the Doom that's written in where he basically has diplomatic immunity and everyone really, really wants to punch him and no one can. <laughs> exactly. And then Doom's also that weird guy because it's like, where's that line between being, you know, a demigod and supervillain and nobody can fly over my castle. Pew, 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 pew. Yeah, I mean, you gotta say, shrewdest businessman ever. I mean, if, if only Lex Luthor had the idea, I'm just gonna become a diplomat. Now no one can touch me. <laughs> well, he did. He became president of the United States. But that did not help him in America where Superman was. This is true. I think I only bypass that because of how ineffective it was for him. Exactly. So while there's so much mayhem and gore and blood and just chaoticness with these villains, you know, there is actually a much darker and almost sadder side to, to some villains. And that's going to be the villain that is misguided or in their, their little crevice of their mind, they actually think they're doing a great job. Yeah, these are the villains that really go in with the greatest of intentions. And then you realize that they're just taking things a little bit too far. And one of TJ and I's personal favorites for this is Magneto. I mean, think about it. This is a guy who saw humanity at its worst. Watched people around him suffer and die. All different kinds of personal, terrible tragedy. So in his head, he just wants to protect his fellow mutants. He has the greatest of intentions involved. However, his idea of protecting his fellow mutants ends up taking down a plane full of humans. <laughs> exactly. And our favorite example with this particular villain, and Amanda brought it up last night, is the number of times in the X-Men animated series, Wolverine and the X-Men, you know, X-Men Evolution is, the number of times that you hear Charles and Xavier say, no, don't, Magnus has the best of intentions here. And for those of you who don't know, Magnus is Magneto's actual name. Yeah, I never picked up calling him by his fir by his last name. Like, I just, he's always just been Magneto or sorry, <laughs> So, and that's another great thing is when Charles Xavier, his oldest friend, can say he is trying. He's really, really trying. That tells you that there is, no, there, it's one of those, like, straddling the line situations. Right. And you definitely look at some of the things that Magneto's done, and you have a very, very hard time seeing his law. Like, I know for me personally, I always found, especially his argument, to be very, very weak. I never empathized with him a lot. Um, 
especially in the movies, I never found it too particularly moving. It was always just, that's a dumb reason to take down a building. <laughs> but, you know, it, it took a while for that to kind of grow on me. That helped me understand that, no, he really has the best intentions. It's just not the soundest way of ensuring, you know, the greater good. <laughs> Another great example of this uh, is Mystique. Now, Mystique is one of those characters that, depending on who's writing her, depends on what category she falls into. Because there are uh, there are the times when she's just she's just a crazy bitch, and she wants to take everyone down. Um, but then there are the other ones like um, where she's actually a mother to Rogue, and she thinks she's doing the right thing to protect Rogue, whose mutation is so hard to control that anyone who comes into contact with her needs to be dealt with or she'll be discovered. Then you also have the mystique of she can't, she doesn't, she is, falls into the magneto category of she doesn't blend in with everybody else. She's constantly ridiculed because she's blue. She can shapeshift all the time. So you get that more vengeful side of her where she thinks that mutants, you know, she falls into that thing of mutants are the next race. We need to protect her own kind. Right. And what's even more interesting, especially about Mystique, is the part of her that is legitimately guided by the almost, you know, false prophet role of Magneto, where you see her oftentimes like, no, we don't need to kill all these humans. Magneto will say, no, really, we have to. And then she'll agree. <laughs> so it really depends on who's writing her that of how deep she falls into this category. Exactly. And then another good example of how you can go into this category is going to be um, the villain with mental instability. Now, we're not talking Joker instability because despite the fact that Joker is absolutely crazy, he has motive behind what he wants to do. And for those of you who have not done it yet, I advise reading The Killing Joke because it explains all of this. But his whole thing goes back to revenge because Batman kind of destroyed his life. What I'm talking about here in this category is villains like the Trickster, who and you really don't know a lot about it unless you watch like the Justice League cartoon. You find out that he's really just a normal guy who happens to have some mental instability. And when he's off his medication, he kind of goes woohoo. Same with like Moon Knight, who suffers from multiple personality disorder. Right. You definitely get these characters that really have great intent but end up getting a little you know intense when it comes to that actually probably one of my favorite examples of that has to be two-faced not necessarily two-faced as a villain the or but the origin of that where this is basically just a personality that was created by harvey dent to cope to deal with life and it's something that spiraled out of control and you definitely see a lot where he's not always a villain but there's definitely not always good that runs there it's a very very rich category because one of the things that we love to hate about villains is they're very very charming and you know enigmatic there's something interesting about you know what they have to say um i know guilty pleasure for me I love villains. I think that they're the most interesting. I know for the longest time, I was I wanted to listen to everything that Lex Luthor had to say. You know, in like Superman the Animated Series. Every time Superman started talking, I was over it. I was like, what does Lex Luthor have to say? He sounds like a smart guy. <laughs> exactly. Um, and the, there's an even sadder side to the villain that thinks they're doing the right thing. And that's 
the reform villain, and not only the reform villain, but the villain that no ma- that they keep falling off the bandwagon no matter how hard they try. Oh my gosh, yeah, this one's kind of sad for me because so many actually do end up falling into this category, and actually one of them that does is the one that we started talking about first. That happens to actually be Harley Quinn. Exactly, and you see it a lot depending on, again, it's depending on who writes her, but what you got to understand, especially with Harley Quinn, she didn't start out the way she was. You know, she was actually the therapist to the Joker, and in his twisted way, somehow got under her skin, and she fell in love with him. Yeah, and just depending on who's writing her, she'll fall on and off the bandwagon a few times. Um, Assault on Arkham is kind of an interesting one. While she's still playing villain, definitely the ante's a little bit lower if she's not influenced by the Joker. She's a little bit less willing to be as ruthless if it's not because Mr. J told her to. So she's a really, really interesting example. I know another kind of one that's close to both of our hearts is um is Rogue. Definitely. And Rogue is the character that she kinda she starts off in the the uh misguided one because she thinks what she's doing is great. And a lot of it's because you know, Mystique tells her what to do, and Mystique's getting her information from Magneto. And a great example of this is, um, and you you really get it in the comic books and in the animated series, of how Rogue gets her pa- her powers from Miss Marvel. Right, and Rogue, Rogue I have a hard time with because her big thing is she'll follow who's ever kind of talking the loudest. So, actually... The last Christmas gift that I got from TJ was a, one of my fav was my favorite Gambit standalone comic, and one of the first entrances is you know, Rogue talking to Wolverine, and then as soon as Gambit pops in, like, oh, what can I do to help you? It's like, uh, can you not? <laughs> can can you at least wait till someone leaves the room before you know, you just instantly change over banners? She's she's very very easy to influence despite being so stubborn. And that's something that I always kind of had a hard time stomaching with her, even though, you know, she's probably one of my favorite of, you know, the mutants. I always kind of had a hard time stomaching that with her, that, um, that kind of flightiness. Exactly. And a big thing with Rogue is, um, she will basically follow whoever can show her some form of love. And it goes back to the flawed part of her mutation that she can't, be close to anybody else. And so the first person to show her maternal love, romantic love, anything like that, she tends to turn towards, which you get to see a lot whenever Mystique's around, whenever Gambit's around. Um, and Wolverine in some of the series where Rogue has kind of replaced Jubilee and the whole father-daughter dynamic, you'll see that she'll kind of be like, oh, I'm going to go do whatever you say because, you know, you're showing me that affection that I normally can't get. Yep. But another, some other great examples, um, Riddler is one of those. And I think what's kind of interesting, and we should probably discuss with this whole category, is these characters, especially the ones that keep falling on and off the bandwagon, they tend to have some sort of flaw. Such as with Rogue, hers is, you know, nobody can show her affection. With Harley Quinn, it's, she'll do whatever Mr. J does for, you know, uh, acceptance. Now, with the Riddler, his is cowardice. Because in the recent comic books, before the whole 52 Flashpoint kablooey, you know, he left the life of crime 
to be a private investigator. But he is easily drawn back in as long as you can terrify the little crap out of him. Absolutely. And he's one of the ones, again, also I will say what's interesting about this category is um, reform often comes in the form of prison. (laughs) You'll notice that the ones that tend to not necessarily fall off the bandwagon are the ones that are harder to catch. You know, Joker's a weird example because he's legitimately crazy, but he's very, very seldomly in Arkham Long. He's there, but it's not typically a long time. Riddler tends to stay until someone busts him out, but he very, very seldomly tries hard to escape. So reform often comes from basically a pro- you know a probation period, and then something will usually happen, and it's kind of sad because most of these characters really started off as not you know terrible people just not the best exactly and a lot, and with the reform bill and just kind of like amanda said these are the people who when they first showed up they were you know they had the best intentions possible so harley quinn before she fell in love with the joker rogue before her powers came in and mystique was able to influence her just these characters of they are, they're a lot easier to come back to the side of good because they at one point were there. Unlike the Joker where he doesn't remember much of his, you know, before being dropped into a vat of chemicals at the East Chemical Factory, you know. These are people who, but then at the same time, it gives them a slight disadvantage because they are easier to influence back and forth. Right. I mean... That's always been kind of crazy for me. But we did forget to bring up one very, very interesting one. Uh-oh. This is the villain who, though goal is singular, also is a little bit too apathetic. It crosses over a little bit into the supervillain. Here's the thing. Supervillains often will sometimes be remorseful. I think, again, also like Lex Luthor. Usually if he ends up doing some kind of collateral damage, there's usually a press conference. Our demigodded supervillains occasionally have a very, very singular focus, but honestly do not care about the rest of it. Only reason why I bring this up is we can't forget about Loki. Oh, Loki. Now, Loki is the ultimate example of who the hell is writing him that decides who he is. For those of you who are really into the the Wheaton-verse, he's very much bent for destruction. But then there's Amanda's favorite side of Loki. Right. I bring up Loki just because, one, he's a big fan selling point. Here's the thing. Wheaton-verse Loki is one that I'm not entirely familiar with from a backing in the comics. Loki's always been more of a troll. Now, however, I bring him up, even in my more canonical version of him being a troll, he's seldomly not too worried about what happens afterwards. I bring him up as almost his own category because there's a disconnect. Lex Luthor is aware that when he's fighting Superman and takes down a train, yes, that's important and that's bad. Loki is above Midgardian rule. So if he takes down a train because he summoned the Midgard Serpent, it's really apathetic for him. And that almost brings out a whole interesting aspect because there's a couple other villains that are just like that, that in the dogged pursuit of one individual, 
but cannot care. Um, Silver Surfer is kind of in that category as well of, no, I really only have one goal, but if that one goal knocks out, you know, an entire train system, I don't, it, that that's bad, That that's a bad thing on this planet, you know? <laughs> Exactly, and then you. Uh, we also decided that Enchantress was another one of those people, because uh, her main goal is she wants Thor to fall in love with her, and again, she's above, you know, the Midgardian realm. She's, you know, Asgardian, so to her, she plays by different rules, basically. Yep, I just always thought that that one was interesting. You guys can definitely ask me more about my rant with Wheaton versus Loki. Wow. It was indeed an interesting portrayal of Loki. I'm by no means familiar in one that has that much free time and is that dark and brooding. The Loki I know of is the one that, you know, I'm just trying to ruin Thor's day. And by ruin Thor's day, I mean steal his underwear and summon the Midgard Serpent. (laughs) Totally. And, you know... I'm used to the difference between, you know, Uncle Bad Touch, like he's gonna do some, actually do something in the week verse versus he's just, you know, he's just that creepy uncle nobody talks about in the comic books. So, and the great thing about these villains is while there is a general borderline for them and they all fall into place, again, depending on who's writing them depends on exactly where they are. Now, the Joker's gonna be crazy no matter who's writing it, whether it's Frank West or anybody else. But other characters such as Harley Quinn, Loki, Poison Ivy, Rogue, um, are gonna, you know, they're gonna vary writer by writer. So that's, and that's, you know, heroes are one thing, they're gonna follow the same general path, but your villains can change 100% depending on who's writing them. Totally. And depending on who's writing it can sometimes take very, very campy and useless villains and make them incredibly capable. Um, great example of that is Captain Boomerang in Assault on Arkham. While, again, not incredibly useful, leaps and bounds more useful than he was in the comics, which was a giant caricature of Australia. <laughs> I mean, and he was used for more than just combat relief, though I have to say, point your boomerang somewhere else is probably the best line ever. Yeah, that probably goes in top for best line. So... I mean, this is only half of what Amanda and I discussed last night, and the great thing is, is we've decided we're going to break this up into three parts and divide everything up and discuss it, and oh my god, like, I don't even have words for how excited the two of us are about this. Yeah, definitely stay on the lookout for part two and for part three. There's a lot going on, and this really only scratches the surface, but it gives you a pretty decent insight into what we're looking at as well. I know, again, for me, the villain is something that I'm usually focusing on a little bit more in the average comic book series than I am on anyone else. I mean, I can honestly say I found the Joker far more interesting than Batman. I found Two-Face far more interesting than Batman. I found Lex Luthor way more interesting than Superman. And really pretty much consistently across most comics. It gets interesting. And trust me, there's a lot to talk about. So for part two, we're actually going to go into our vigilante kind of anti-hero category. And that one is going to be a lot of discussion, a lot of questions, and a lot of defining. Because that one is also a category incredibly contingent upon who's writing it. Exactly. And then we, with that, we kind of get to discuss the whole, where does Batman fall into the category? Which hopefully may not turn into a whole show by itself.
Yep. So guys, please stay tuned. Again, feel free to like us on Facebook. We're always answering messages. Feel free to hit us up on Twitter or or on our email if you guys want to keep the discussion going because beauty's thing about evil and villainy is it's never going to stop. I mean, a comic without a villain is a fortune cookie. Or Twilight. But we're not going to talk about that. So on this note, guys, I cannot wait to see you in part two and for the next episode. So this is Amanda signing off. And this is Taylor. Y'all have a wonderful night.